What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to episode number 39 of the Marine Layer podcast with TJ Matthewson and Lyle Goldstein. On today's pod, we welcome on Bobby Wagner, the co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast. They talk about some different things on the Tipping Pitches podcast. It is a baseball podcast, but they dive in a little bit deeper than we do. They're not looking at trade deadline targets. I'll just say that much. We'll talk about that uh, with Bobby as the interview goes along. We also have our two Mariners storylines as well for this episode. Just a reminder, if you're listening on our audio platforms, make sure to go check us out on YouTube. If you do, go hit subscribe, like, leave us a comment. Let us know what you want to hear more of from us, what you like, what you don't like. If you're listening on YouTube and watching us on YouTube, go check out our audio form podcast as well. Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, Go rate, go give us five stars, go download our episodes, all that good stuff. It helps us out a bunch, all of it. And as always, you want to check out our social media content, which we think we do some pretty cool stuff on there. You can do so on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube shorts at Marine Layer Pod. Let's get it rolling. And we welcome you to this episode of the Marine Layer Podcast, part of the Just Baseball Podcast Network, recording here on Monday, July 17th. And Lyle, don't we have some new content that people need to go check out? We do. We do. We did our first vlog ever, and it just got posted here on Monday morning, and we had a blast doing it. It's different than all of our other content. We like to make all of our other content bite-sized, but this is not bite-sized. This is an entire four-day stretch worth of content following us. See a little bit of our personal lives, some more personality coming out in it. It was fantastic. Took us through the draft, took us through the Futures game, the celebrity softball game, the home (laughs) run derby, and the all-star game as well. I can't remember exactly if there's a reaction to me saying, man, the Celebrity All-Star softball game sucks. So if it's not in there, I'll just put it on the record right here, right now. Make sure it is clear on the record, staring into a video camera, that that is correct. But otherwise, it Lyle did a great job editing it and putting it together about 15 minutes of our All-Star Week experience in Seattle. Great way to document that all. And yeah, you should go check it out on our YouTube. That's the first vlog we've ever done, and it's the first one I've ever personally done. I've certainly never walked around over a three, four-day stretch just filming all the different stuff we do behind the scenes, but I enjoyed it. I mean, we thought with All-Star Week here in Seattle, it would be a chance to do some unique stuff, and we figured for those who didn't get to go out to all four days of All-Star Week, maybe they'd enjoy seeing what we do over a a four-day stretch. And what it entails between going to the events, meeting up with all these different people, some of our live reactions to the Home Run Derby, you'll want to check that part out. Yeah, it was fun. And and if there's other events that we have the chance to vlog going forward, I, I think we should keep doing it because I think it was it was a cool little behind the scenes piece of content we did. Quick question for you. Did you edit out our trip to Starbucks? 
Yeah, like I'd ever step foot in a Starbucks. That is in the vlog. <laughs> I can tell you that. TJ early on is like, so uh, we making a trip to Starbucks? I said, I'm I did sorry. suggest it. I'm sorry, but I'm boycotting Starbucks like forever. There was a Starbucks in the MLB Play Ballpark Convention Center in the in the right next to Lumen Field. We could have gone. It was it was sitting right there. It was tempting. I kept suggesting like Lyle, buddy, we're we're dragging a little bit here. I think we need some more caffeine. And Lyle looked at me dead in the eye and said, "Absolutely not." It was thankful though. Gatorade was there uh, giving out some free advertising, doing some doing some marketing of their new energy drink. So whatever amount of caffeine you could possibly get from coffee, they were just giving out free energy drinks every single day. So I'm like, okay. I'm not a caffeine drinker at all, but the rare times that I need it, I opt to go with things like those Gatorade Fast Twitch drinks, which we drank a few of throughout that week because we needed it and it was a long week. But I'm not drinking coffee or well, let's put it like this. I'm not drinking Starbucks coffee ever. If you're a true Seattleite, you don't drink Starbucks. Go buy your coffee. Go purchase it at a local coffee shop. Go support your local businesses. Do not go to Starbucks. Just like you support this local business right here with the two of us. It means a lot. I will say, though, despite the amount of caffeine those fast switches had in them, nothing really tops the amount of jitters I get from cold brew. I don't know what it is. Not Starbucks cold brew. There's a place here in Corvallis. They're cold brew. I'll drink it at, like, noon. And I'll be laying in bed. It's like 1230 and I'm still like, ooh, I can go for a run right now. This is this is, this is, is jittery. And no other cup of coffee or even energy drink that I would drink at that time has done that. But somehow that has. But otherwise, caffeine did power the weekend. It did power the vlog, especially through those last couple of days. It was warm. It was fun. We, uh, we really enjoyed a whole bunch of it. We go back and relive it again. I mean, going back to that derby would be kind of fun, I would say. So... Getting another all-star game soon there, Mariners. That'd be great. Or we just need to find more things to vlog, which hopefully we have the chance to do some more cool things like that, even if it's not an all-star week, to go vlog moving forward. Hey, I mean, if if things go right, maybe we can start going to all the all-star games even that aren't in Seattle one day, and then we can vlog all that stuff and, again, find other things to vlog in between that time too. That would be even more fun because you know what coffee shops are in the airports? Sadly, Starbucks. Yeah. Well, hopefully we go somewhere with the Dunkin' Donuts because Dunkin' Donuts is like up here and Starbucks is down here somewhere, down below. I'm pointing straight down if you're listening on podcast. Way down there on the floor, Dunkin' Donuts is up here. Let's let's uh, let's go find somewhere with the Dunkin'. Let me put this on record. If the Sonics do one day come back, I will consider purchasing Starbucks. Until then, absolutely not. Now, what about the suggested rumor that we saw floated out there the other day that the Oklahoma City Thunder moved back from Oklahoma City to Seattle because they're not selling enough tickets in OKC and Howard Schultz has to sell them back? Well, he already did sell them, but Clay Bennett and company sell them back to Seattle. And is everything back? No. Are we going to go pop the champagne at Starbucks? Oh, I might pop champagne, but I'm not just running back to Starbucks because guess what? For 20 years, they haven't been here. Yeah, it's going to take a lot to win me over to go back to Starbucks. And and the non-starter is the Sonics coming back. Like that is a must if I'm even going to consider it. That's fair. That's fair. And we we hold out. We hold out. It, it's going to happen eventually. It'll probably happen within the next 10 years. 
and there will be some champagne. I've already got it on ice. Let's just hope it doesn't freeze before that point happens. Okay, enough doodling around, Lyle. Let's get to our Mariners storylines. Up first, I'm going to present you. We're, we're each going to we're each going to present a potential trade figure with the deadline looming a couple weeks from now. Two different types of candidates that Lyle and I each have picked out here, but I think it's these are going to be interesting to dive into and look at. And of course, we don't even know if the the Mariners are buyers yet. But we are forecasting if they are actually going to buy, here is something they could potentially target. Here's a name that I'm going to throw at you, Lyle. Let me know what you think of this. Jamer Candelario, hope I pronounced that right, of the Nationals, a third baseman. I do like the player. I don't love the fact that he is a rental and you probably only get two months of him. That doesn't feel like the type of trade Jerry DePoto usually makes. You're right, and that's what I thought while doing this research. This is probably a last-ditch effort, but let's imagine the playoff field. There's, there's, let's say there's 23 teams that actually think they have a chance or are not actually willing to sell the kind of pieces that Jerry Depoto wants. Jerry keeps saying, yes, we want young, cost-controlled guys at the deadline. Well, what team in baseball wants does not want young cost controlled players are there any i i don't know so that kind of that kind of shortens the list of what's actually available for you at the deadline if that's all what you're willing to go do but now if the mariners say rip off 10 wins in a row somehow dub very unlikely but let's say they rip off 10 wins in a row like man we could still really upgrade this roster and it wouldn't really cost a whole lot jamer candelario might be a guy who can do that he's been the one of the best players on a crummy Washington Nationals team. He's making only $5 million this year on a one-year deal. You won't have to pay all that much to get him, to be honest. Rental players like this do not cost that much. I mean, pick any, I'd say, two mid-tier Mariners prospects who you'd probably forget about in a couple of years anyway if they were traded off the roster. I mean, anyone from, say, 10 to 20, pick two of them, and that's probably all it would really cost to get Jamer Candelario. He plays an excellent third base. I would imagine he's pretty much only played third base in his career. If you wanted to keep Eugenio at third base, I would imagine it wouldn't be too out of the question to shift the guy to second base, even if he's not quite as good at second base with a little more range required. That's fine. He he hits well. Uh, he's got a 118 WRC plus this year. Again, very solid defender. And his walk and strikeout numbers are also very good as well. So, you know, there's there, there's stuff to like there for something that would not cost that much, to be honest. He came up as a shortstop, so if he had to move over to second base, even if he's not going to play elite defense, he'd probably do that at this point. The only thing I wonder, along with the fact that he is a rental piece, does his batted ball profile kind of scare you off at all? I mean, his quality of contact is not great. It's not terrible. But it doesn't jump off the page. 49th percentile in ex-WOBA, 40th percentile in expected batting average, 37th percentile in hard hit percentage. For two months, it might not matter, but it is just something to consider. And this is where I'll bring back to the point, you're not committed to him beyond this year. And he shows you something that you really believe in and you actually think he could sustain something like this, then you could pay him as a free agent, right? And if you don't actually believe it and you're like, hmm, this seems kind of fluky. 
then you don't have to sign him. And you did not really have to give up all that much to get him. He did have, he has had now multiple good offensive seasons, also had a very good offensive season in 2021 with very similar peripherals. So it's not out of the question that he could sustain something like this for a couple seasons, if you really think so. And he'd be a bat, most importantly, a bat on an in your infield, which is something you really, really need and you haven't developed in your system at all. So at some point, you can't really be too picky about which guys you get in your system because you think about it at this point, it's like, well, because his baseball savant page doesn't look good, I would rather have Colton Wong on the infield. I don't think either of us are saying that. And I don't think Jose Caballero over the last, I would say, month has given you any reason to to say otherwise as well. He's really struggled at the plate. So, I mean, shoulder shrug. Look, three of the last four years, results are results. And in that time, he's been a really good bat when you look at his offensive numbers. It's just something to consider. But to your point, you're right that you shouldn't have to give up a whole lot to get him. I mean, if you want to even look at the Tyler Anderson trade two years ago, they gave up Carter Benz, who at the time was a catcher that was hitting well in the system. But you mentioned the idea of you might forget about this prospect in a couple of years, and we haven't really heard much from Carter Benz since then. I think he's just still in the Pirates minor league system. So you're probably right that the prospect you'd give up would likely not come back to haunt you. I just know that this is not usually the route that Jerry goes. I was actually trying to dig back and remind myself, what are some of the short-term moves he's made at the deadline? There was Tyler Anderson. That was two years ago. The only other two that even came to mind were when he acquired Adam Warren, Zach Duke, and Cameron Mabin back in 2018. That's about it. I don't remember any other real rental moves that he's made at the deadline. And say if they had a little more budget, in 2018, I think they might have swung a little bit larger, but I remember that 2018 had a couple of things working against them. One, thin farm system. B, we know on the record, Ryan Divish said that they could not add anything else at the deadline because they didn't have any payroll to add. They were they were maxed out when it came to to payroll flexibility and budget for the season, so they couldn't add out add any of that. So that's what Jerry ended up doing. I will say though, at some point. You know, a cheap rental is not the worst thing in the world because as long as your current major league product is not good enough for the current season, then that always leaves the door open to getting better. And I think that is very much an option. I just don't want the Mariners to pigeonhole themselves into saying the guy has to be young. He has to be controllable with multiple years and he has to be a part of this future because if the Mariners think this kind of guy is wants to, would want to be part of their future, you know, maybe the team that already has them also thinks they might be part of their future because they are young, controllable, and projectable for the future. It, it's just kind of a corner that you back yourself into where you might end up overpaying for somebody who might not actually make your team that much better this season. And if you're going to buy, isn't that the whole point? It is. And maybe that's the route they go. Also, do you like letters or numbers better? Because you just want one and then be there for your two reasons. So which 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 one do you like better? Do you want numbers or letters? Numbers. Okay. Okay. That reminded me of that scene in Home Alone where the older the older brothers like one, I'm not lucky. Two, we have security. Or he says, no, A, I'm not lucky. Two, we have security. And D, we live in a boring neighborhood. So you're taking yeah, a page that sounds right out of the book. like 
Yeah, that sounds like something I would do. Sometimes I just lose track of thoughts. This is what happens when I don't get enough coffee in the day. I don't. Maybe I need to get some on the way to work. Got a, you, got a little bit of a late-ish night tonight, so I need, need some energy to, to keep me rolling. What you feeling headaches? You feeling what headaches you right now? No, no. I had, I had my one cup of coffee at breakfast at about 10 o'clock. It was delicious. It was great. I recommend it to everybody. It's, it's part of a routine. It gives you something to look forward to every morning. I mean, who just wants to drink water when you wake up in the morning? Not me. Water's good, but have you ever had a nice cup of coffee? I mean, the, mm, mm. I don't know if I can relate much. Well, you know I'm what sorry, two, you're missing out. Well, that's up for debate. You know what the two of us can relate on? If the Mariners were to shoot an arrow into the sky, hit the bullseye of a target, and truly make an impact move for the long term to help this franchise. How about that guy that plays third base for the Cardinals? Would anybody here be interested in Nolan Arenado besides me? Yes? No? Maybe? That sounds good to me. I am curious, though. You did mention Candelario's batted ball profile. You look at Nolan's, it's not that much different, to be honest. In fact, it might be better. What about the fact that Nolan Arenado's made eight straight all-star games, has won a gold glove every single year of his career? If you exclude 2020, his WRC pluses drop below 120 once in a season, and that was when it was 113 and 2021 or sorry let me rephrase once in a season since 2015 and that was when it was at 113 in 2021 well so notice how i just said baseball savant page i think that's 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 mostly what i said if we're we're talking about that ball profile however career accolades are also great and the also the, the other fact that he's under contract for four more years after this season he's kind of old though he's getting up there Okay, he's 32. When this contract ends, he'll still be 36. It's not that old. Like Guys are still productive at that part of their career, and I will buy in that he still will be. The thing I think about with a Nolan Arenado trade is, can the Mariners, could they actually get it? Like, Could they give a package up similar to what the, the Cardinals gave up to get him? It's like That's like a, a pipe dream. But can I just read you this package in case you forgot it? I mean, it's it's truly bizarre that trading for a 30-year-old Nolan Arenado with what he would have had six years of control left, I believe. This is the package they gave up to get him. Austin Gomber. Ugh, let's see. El Hurrius uh, Montero. Tony Losi. Mateo Gill. And Jake Somers, have you heard of any of those guys besides Austin Gomber? Because he started against the M's this year. I've known Gomber for a while because at one point he was a prospect. And obviously he's a big leaguer, but he hasn't been very good. And the other guys, no. That was for six years of Nolan Arenado right there. Six years. Oh, and the Rockies also, No, I think the Rockies also sent them $50 million. I think that was it, right? First contract. Like, what an incredible deal. I mean, fleece <laughs> of the century. Still can't get over that. Anyways, if Jerry can get, I don't know, if he could fleece the Cardinals half as much, you know, I'm I'm all in on this. And he just opted in this past offseason to the final bit of his contract. There was an opt-out there after last season, which he really did great. They was, what, third in MVP. That's as good as you can get. 
going into the offseason. I have no idea why he didn't opt out of that contract, seeing what Manny got at a similar age. But regardless, that was Nolan's choice to make. So you got a guy now under contract when you trade for him who have about four and a half years of control left, has a history of accolades, historically one of the greatest defenders ever at third base. So all those boxes get checked. He has had a pretty crummy defensive year this year by both outs above average and defensive run saved. His one true calling card, no matter what, that he's better than anyone else at was his defense. And his defense has taken a turn for, for the worse this year. You hope that's not something that gets worse as he gets a little bit slower and older as well as his bat would decline in value as his bat speed slows down. So just a couple of thoughts there when uh, when thinking about Nolan Arenado. But I'm not opposed to the idea because honestly don't think he would cost all that much, especially if you're taking on that contract. So let's play this out. If the Mariners were to take on that contract, this is something in the ballpark of what I threw together. You can tell me if this is too much, too little, or right about in the middle of what the asking price would be. And if you want to throw out your own idea, you can too. If the Mariners take on the whole contract, I said it would cost Cole Young, one of the first rounders from this year, let's say Johnny Farmello, and I'll throw Jake Shiner in there too. I mean, as much as I love Jake Shiner, it is a bat that is close to the majors, that's having a really good year, that maybe the Cardinals think could help at least as a bench bat or somewhat of a platoon piece going forward. Is that about the right price? I mean, you're not going to do what the what the Cardinals did and give up absolutely nothing. But that feels about in the range. Would you feel like that might be a, maybe a little bit of an overpay for a plus 30 guy with all that money owed to him? I feel like that still might be a lot. I feel like maybe you swap Farmelo out for pick a, not, not even like a Woo or a Miller. I feel like it would cost less than that. For all that money, I mean, you're taking on a, over $100 million off the Cardinals' book, books in the future. That has its own worth. Oh, and by the way, Nolan does have a full no-trade clause, which significantly lowers the Cardinals' leverage in a trade. That is true. Okay, so if you swap out Farmelo, are you including an arm instead? Would it be somebody like... Is Walter Ford too high of an arm? Would it be somebody more like Michael Morales? You can put Mike. You can put Walter Ford in there. That's fine. Okay. So Young, Ford, Jake Shiner. Shiner. I mean, I would do that. Like, if it's really not going to cost that much, I'm doing it. Even if Nolan Arenado comes here and isn't the player he used to be, I'm still taking the chance that he will be because they need answers offensively and they need it very soon. Oh, by the way. If you want to convince that two-way guy this winter that you're serious about winning, isn't this a move that signals that, that wouldn't even cost you that much? Yeah, that would be it. The biggest th- the biggest roadblock in this would not be what the Mariners could offer. It's that convincing Nolan Arenado that this is a place you'd actually want to play. That's it. Like That's essentially it. Once you would decide this is a place he wants to play, then it, I don't think it would be that difficult for Jerry to put together a package the Cardinals would seriously consider, especially since all the dialogue going back and forth between the two teams. Not totally sure if this is where Nolan would want to play the play the rest of his career, though, unfortunately, and that really hinders the Mariners. This is the problem with trading for a veteran on a big contract. More likely than not, they will have a full no-trade clause in there, and they can pick and choose wherever they decide to go next. Nolan doesn't have to go anywhere if he doesn't want to. He can... He could, even if the Cardinals say, yeah, we want to offload your contract, he can say, well, too bad. It doesn't matter to me. 
You think he'd prefer to be a Yankee or a Dodger? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think, unfortunately, I think the Mariners would be about as low on that list as possible. The You know, it wouldn't shock me if the only two teams below that are the A's and the Rockies. He hates the Rockies front office and ownership, I'm sure now, and the A's speak for themselves. That That's probably it. I, I, I wouldn't. I, I would not be shocked about that. I I know we can say, well, look at the future of the Mariners. Well, it doesn't change the fact that no one would have to play eighty-one games a season in T-Mobile Park, which he as a hitter would hate. You may be selling a little low. There's the Royals. There's the Tigers. There's the Nationals. There's the. I don't know if you want to go to Pittsburgh. I mean, I don't know if they're dead last. I'm saying the park pro- plays a bigger factor than all the futures of those other teams you just mentioned. That that's essentially one of the bi- the biggest things, and that's why pe- we've already talked about this. This is such a tired argument, but it's it is true. Guys do not like hitting in that park. They do not, and the results speak for themselves. Unfortunately, as unfortunate as it is, it is a reality. So you're somehow going to have to convince Nolan Arenado that playing 81 games a season in T-Mobile Park is worth it. Well, I'll leave that to Jerry because if he can somehow pull that trade off, that is a massive swing for this team because I still believe that he has plenty of juice left in the tank and I would be ecstatic to see him here. So I'm going to keep my fingers crossed that they're cooking up something like that because this team, both right now and going forward, could really use it. This fall, stream your favorites and discover more with Disney Plus, Hulu, and ESPN Plus together. Watch the highly anticipated new season of Loki and see the ghosts materialize in Haunted Mansion on Disney Plus. Catch more frights with the Boogeyman and American Horror Story Delicate on Hulu. And on ESPN Plus, get into the action with college football and NFL. All of these and more streaming now. Get the Disney Bundle with plans starting at $9.99 a month. Plans with ESPN Plus starting at $14.99 a month. Terms apply. See DisneyBundle.com for details. With that being said, for the guys they do have on the roster for this year, some of them need to step up in the second half. So for the second part of this Mariners talk, for the second Mariners storyline, We're going to highlight one player each that we think needs to. And we're going to say Sans Julio Rodriguez. I think it's pretty much unanimous that everybody knows for the Mariners to go where they want to go, Julio has to be Julio. So we're going to pick somebody else to highlight and say, the Mariners need more more from this guy. So who's on your list? It's funny you said that sentence. I literally had that thing right underneath my player said, note that excludes the obvious answer of Julio. Like, yes, no shit. Julio needs to play better. We all agree on that. It's Ty France. Wow. Would you like to tell the folks who have not looked it up what Ty France's WRC plus in July is? I'm sure most people know he's struggling, but you probably wouldn't guess it. It is seven. That like you heard that right. His WRC plus in the month of July, as we sit here on Monday afternoon, July 17th, is 7, 93% below league average. It is it is really tough to stare at. As a first baseman, which, you know, first basemen are supposed to hit. If you look at his last month, we put the sample size a little bigger. It's 44 and for a guy who doesn't strike out in that span, he's striking out 25% of the time. 
He's not slugging at all. His defense is still fine at first base, but at this point, if you don't hit as a first baseman, it really doesn't matter how good your defense is at first. You you look at among first basemen, he is 19th among all first basemen in WRC+. He's sandwiched between Tristan uh, Tristan Casas. Casas? It's Casas. There we go. Okay. Tristan Casas and Torque, Spencer Torkelson, who I saw at Discourse on Twitter, was like, does he need to get sent down again? Like that's where in the that's in the 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 hemisphere that that Ty France is in right now. That's not the place you want to be as a first baseman where about the league average for WRC plus for first baseman this year is probably around like 110. And he's he's at 104. He's below that as a first baseman. That that's your job to hit. And Ty France is not hitting, and he was been up been up in the lineup, finally moved down yesterday in the lineup. And when you have a guy who's struggling as much as he was at the top of your lineup, it doesn't help you produce much many runs. And he finally got moved down, and you know we'll see how long that sticks. Do we think any of Ty France scuffling correlates with that injury from the collision in the Rays series? Because at the time that he started to struggle was right around the same period as that injury. So I'm just wondering if there's some correlation there. Maybe, but... I've- we're at the point where it's just deja vu every season. We're pointing at Ty France's struggles like, oh, that one time where he got injured and says he's healthy but still playing on the field. Well, is he hurt? I don't know. You'd have to ask Ty France. Like, just like, are we tired of having this conversation? Well, of course I'd love Ty France to hit, but I, I don't know if he's trying to play through an injury or not. I mean, well, I'm I don't gonna- know. I don't know, but if he's healthy enough to get out out there on the field, you expect better than a 7 WRC plus in July. Well, that is true. If he's going to be starting out there at first base and is going to try to either play through what is maybe an injury or if he is just simply healthy and the collision isn't affecting him anymore, yeah, he has to hit better. I, I don't really know what happened to the 2021 Thai France. Maybe what Ty did in the first half of 2022 isn't sustainable when he was when he at one point was a top 10 hitter in baseball by WRC plus. The 2021 Ty France was about a 130 WRC plus guy, hit 20 bombs, didn't strike out, played good defense. That's the guy they need back. And for Ty France to be starting every day at first base, that's about what you expect him to do. I think the biggest thing for Ty France, if we're going to actually look at some numbers, he is chasing at more pitches outside of the zone this season, 42% for the season. It was about 35% for the two previous seasons. And that on top of the fact he really overall does not hit the ball hard. If you look at his savant page, his average exit velocity is in the bottom 10% of baseball. That doesn't lead up to, to being a very successful hitter. So at some point, you know, Ty France is, is going to have to put on a long, sustained, full season of hitting success for the Mariners to, I would say, truly buy into him at first base. They do seem pretty bought into him at first base. He's he's funny. He's a likable guy and good in the clubhouse and all that. But I think Ty France might be getting to the point where it's not necessary that they have to go into the offseason saying we need improvement out of this position. But it's not out of the question at this point because Ty France is headed in the wrong direction season after season. I've had similar thoughts. I'm not saying it happens, but I think it at least has to be on the mind of the Mariners front office because when you play a premier offensive position, 
and you're not hitting, it it hampers your team because you're expecting your first baseman to be a thumper. And even if Ty France is never going to be a 40-homer guy, you still need him to be, again, more like what he was in 2021. And if the Mariners front office, the analytics team, the coaching staff, whoever else does not internally believe that he's going to get back to that, then maybe it is worth looking outside the organization come this offseason. Does it? Does it shock you that his expected numbers are nearly identical this season and last with very different results? That is shocking. Like they're very, very, very similar. So are we crediting some of last season to some really good luck? Perhaps. Maybe a mix. I would say a mix. Maybe some bad luck potentially this season. Although this season, again, as I already mentioned, he's he's chasing too much. Right. This is a guy who's not supposed to strike out and walk maybe a bit, but he he's the worst thing about this stretch is that he's chasing a lot. He's striking out way too much and not walking at all on top of not hitting the ball hard. That's the worst profile you could possibly have. That's a profile that gets you sent down to the minor leagues if you don't correct it. I think I thought I'd just put this in context before we move on to our next guy that needs to perform better in the second half. What were we expecting Ty France to be hitter-wise on this roster at the beginning of the season? The second or third best hitter? You know, Julio won either Teoscar or Ty 2 on the other three. Is that right? You can make an argument for Gino too, since he was the second best hitter on the team last year. But two through four, some combination of Suarez, Ty, and Teoscar. But all of them lumped pretty close together. So yes, you were expecting Ty to be one of your impact bats in the middle of the lineup. That's not really happening right now. Yeah, Ty's eighth on the roster in WRC+. Eighth. And if you want to take out the two guys at the top, Tom Murphy and Mike Ford, who haven't haven't had quite as many at-bats, he's sixth. And that just, again, that just can't happen. That's a guy you're like, we are relying on this dude for offensive production, and it hasn't been there. Okay, let's move on to our second player here. So I'm going to highlight Jared Kelnick, who season as a whole has been really, really something to sit back and glamour about and be happy about because he has made real strides both at the plate and with his defense in terms of where he was his first two seasons. That being said, there is a bit of inflation in his season numbers from what he did in the first month and a half of the season because you look at May, June, July. WRC plus by month went 72, 92, or sorry, 100 in May, 72, 72 in June, 92 so far in July. They need a little bit more from him. I'm not saying he has to go back and do what he was doing in April, where he was the only hitter on the team. He was lighting the entire league on fire and was OPSing close to 1200. That's not sustainable. What I do think is similar to what we were talking about with Ty France of, of the team needs him to be who he was in 2021. If Kelnick can be who he was in September of 2021, that is the player that they need in the second half. Because if he hits, combined with everybody else that started to heat up a little bit, that makes a big difference. I think Jared is a little bit different of a player than that September 2021, though. He, I mean, he's just gone through so many changes at this point in his approach and his stance and his swing overall that I just don't know if... Maybe end of season production wise, sure, yes. But overall, he he is different though. Now he is different, and I feel like we need to see the September version of the twenty twenty three Jared Kelnick 
instead of the 2021 Jared Kelnick because I I still feel like those are those are different players. One thing to note though, power wise, thanks to Joe Doyle for pointing this out on Twitter, friend of the pod, that sneakily Jared is on pace for over 40 doubles this season. Now, do, do you remember the last Mariner to have a 40 double season? Did Beltre ever do it? I'm going to double check. I believe it was Jose Lopez in 2009. I'll double okay. check myself. I thought I was going to put that in my notes, but I did not. While you do that, all I meant by September 2021, Jared Kelnick, is the results. You're right. He swings different now. His stance is different now. His approach is different now. But in September of 2021, he put up a 135 WRC+. And even if it's not that high, what I'm getting at is if he can be somewhere between 120 and 135 for the second half, that's what they need because that level of offensive success combined with what he's doing in the corner outfield on defense, that's a really, really good player. And with all the other guys that are starting to heat up, I know Teoscar hasn't had a good few games to start the second half, but what he was doing toward the end of the first half uh, with Geno slightly heating up, all these guys that you feel like might start to be coming into their own, might start to be coming into their own. If Kelnick can get back to having some real success at the plate, that does make a big difference if he can be a 120 WRC plus guy. So I think they really need him at this point to be stepping up his game again offensively and work out some of the adjustments that the league has clearly figured him out with over May, June, and July. It was Jose Lopez, by the way, in 2009. I did get that right. I thought something was very interesting, and I'm curious to see what happens if Jared keeps improving on this. So he stunk in June. He had a set, like you mentioned, a 72 WRC+. plus. What I thought was very curious as watching Jared, who strikes out a lot, swings and misses a lot, his biggest problem, it seemed like, in June was that he didn't swing enough. He swung at only at under 60% of the pitches in the strike zone. Now, I'm no expert, but not swinging, uh, only swinging 59% of the time at pitches in the strike zone leads you to get behind in counts quite often and not really give yourself an opportunity to hit. He is up that in July to 81% swinging in the strike zone, which is which is really nice to see because more swings in the zone means you're going to find the barrel a couple more times and you're going to be swinging at better pitches. Even though he is chasing a little bit more, but overall he's just swinging more and giving himself a little bit more opportunity to do some damage. Jared's never going to be a huge walk guy. He's not going to be Joey Votto. He's not going to sit there with the bat on his shoulder and and watch the ball sail outside by one inch and 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 get and benefit from a call and walk 150 times a season, but he's a guy who we expect to do damage when the ball is in the strike zone and kind of hope he continues to do that as this goes along. I have noticed over the first few games of the second half, there seems to be a little bit of emphasis in Jared's approach with going the other way, because in that Tiger series, he seemed to spray the ball to the opposite field a decent amount, and it led to some success for him in those few games. It seems like he's got an emphasis on that right now. And if that's the case, that's great because maybe he can start spraying the ball to all fields again. Like we've talked about a lot before, when he's at his best, he uses the entire field. That's who he was in the minor leagues. So that would be great if he started to figure out some small adjustment where he can start hitting the ball with authority to left field, to center field, and to right field as well. I have a couple numbers on that, actually, that I didn't I didn't get to. It's not just your eyes. You're You're correct. So he's now hit uh, this month of July. He's going back up the middle 48% of the time. In June, it was 26%. He was pulling the ball over half the time in June, which I think didn't help him out a whole lot. 
So he's going back up the middle just way, 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 way more. And he's also hitting the ball a little bit harder, too. It's, it's his, this month, actually, shockingly enough, is his hot, uh, his highest percentage of hard hit balls, higher than it was in April. So there are things that Jared is starting to do right, alongside the fact he also has his lowest strikeout rate this month since April. It's under 30%. All positive trends for a guy who, again, literally just turned 24 yesterday on Sunday. And that would be great. If he can keep this up in the second half, that could make a huge difference. So they are at the point with Jared Kelnick where after what he did in April and proving that he can be a real impact player, they need him at this point. They really need him to figure it out in the second half to get this offense going. So hopefully he does exactly that. Got anything else to add on that? Otherwise, we can get to our interview. Wow. Does everyone know we actually waylaid the Seahawks all-time leading tackler? Yeah. He, who knew he was such a big baseball fan and did a, did a baseball podcast on the side while he's not, you know, racking up 200 tackles a season. That's funny. But no, there are actually two Bobby Wagners out there. They spell their name exactly the same. And funny enough, they both love sports. So it's really funny when, say, like Bobby Wagner drops an intersection. I, I'm honestly going to ask Bobby about this. But when when Bobby screws up on the field... It's like, okay, how many DMs do you get? How, how often does that happen? So I'm curious. But Bobby Wagner is the co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast. And they do talk about some very different things on their podcast. It is a baseball podcast, but they talk about some very niche, specific subjects that I'm, that I'm curious to ask him about a little bit. Because they're not analyzing where Shohei Otani is getting traded at this deadline. I mean, they're talking about CBA... They're talking about uh, what else they talk about. They, they they have some 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 other really great subjects, bad, like what, teams playing in bad air quality, international presence of Major League Baseball. You know, the Braves becoming a publicly traded company this week. Uh, some some of these really niche businessy subjects that are that are very interesting, and it's a good conversation. I'm really. I think this conversation was awesome. Again, Bobby's really smart, knows the game, and they picked a unique angle like you're talking about. They said, how can we be different from the majority of baseball podcasts? And they found that because their podcast has had a lot of success. People really enjoy listening to them. They've got personality. So we're we're excited to let you guys hear this conversation with them. All right. Let's get to our interview with Bobby Wagner. All right, we've got Bobby Wagner on, co-host of the Tipping Pitches podcast. Bobby, I feel like I have to start with this. Just to clarify, because we are a Pacific Northwest podcast, you're not that Bobby Wagner, right? I am not that Bobby Wagner, despite the fact that many fans, many media outlets, you know, maybe NBC Sports Northwest has tagged me as that Bobby (laughs) Wagner over the years. Every once in a while, it's funny, I'll get like a tweet from someone who's like, oh, my kid, you know, my kid really wants to meet you. And I'm like, you should probably tag this other Bobby Wagner. Like, I feel a little bad. So I'll like reply to them. But for the most part, I just like ignore it or whatever, because I I understand it's very easy to confuse us. We have the exact same name. How many times a year is it like like three Sundays a year? You get someone that just replies to your tweet and says, yeah, you suck. It's like like, it's usually not you suck because he's like a well-liked player, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's it's anytime he does something really big. So if he's like about to sign with a new team or when he came back to Seattle, I got like a whole string of tweets. But then for like 360 days a year, it's nothing. And then for like five days a year, it's like 35 tweets in a row. 
So when I thought you... of this hypoth- I thought of this hypothetical. Say one Bobby Wagner, you lines up on the ten yard line with the football, and other Bobby Wagner stands on the goal line trying to tackle you. You have the entire field. Is Bobby Wagner scoring a touchdown? Uh, no, no, I don't think so. I don't. <laughs> I think Bobby Wagner me is probably breaking a leg in that scenario, but maybe not. I don't know. It depends how how far you give me uh, of a head start. How long has this been going on? Is it since the time he entered the league, or is it just the last four to five years? It's mostly since um since like I joined the media world, really, mm-hmm. because like I did not have any presence online any meaningful presence online before that. And so I would say it was like from the time I got verified on Twitter, because when people saw the verified check mark, they would just assumed that the person named Bobby Wagner had a check mark next to his name was the right one. They didn't uh-huh. think to think about anything else. And then now I don't think either of us are verified anymore under the new Twitter rules. And so I think it actually happens less because of that. But um, you know, I have a decent amount of followers on Twitter now, which seems like a silly thing to say because it's basically dying on the vine, but um, it still happens from time to time. So probably like the last four years or so. Yeah. Well, this Bobby Wagner that we have on right now, you co-host a podcast called Tipping Pitches, which is a baseball podcast, but it's very unique. You're not going to hear the two of you, you and Alex Baisley, your co-host breaking down pitches or stats or games. You break down topics that are very, very unique and most baseball podcasts don't talk about. So you've been doing it for five to six years now, and it's had a lot of traction and success so far. So what drove you guys to kickstart this podcast? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We didn't always know what it was going to be like. Like It started when we were in our senior year of college. Um, We were both doing stuff at the radio station, and we had kind of this auxiliary studio um, that was open on weekends and on evenings and stuff that no one was using and Alex and I were living together. We were wasting a lot of time late at night having arguments, conversations, um, creative discussions about the baseball world and whether that was just what players we were really into um, or, you know, it wasn't really like labor issues yet at the time, but it was more so like things that we saw in the baseball world that were not being covered as much and that we felt like we were interested in hearing people talk about, but we couldn't find anybody talking about those topics. And at the beginning, it kind of was like a blend of, you know, platforming players that we were really into and talking about their personalities and um, talking about our relationship to the like pop culture of the game. And then over the years, as like the labor stories started to become bigger and bigger and, um, you know, candidly, like as our politics formed more clearly, like we started caring a lot more about labor issues. We started caring a lot more about owner conduct and the business of baseball. And now our show is like in this weird sort of hybrid zone where it's like about the pop culture of the baseball and of the baseball world. And like it's sort of like a comedy podcast where we're like doing bits and stuff and um, keeping them going and interacting with our listeners and, um, you know, finding Alex and new teams since the A's have abandoned him, things like that. Um, but also every once in a while when like a big story comes up in the labor world, like we really batten down the hatches and get like very serious about that. Like we read the entire CBA a few weeks ago, or I guess a couple months ago now at this point, I've lost track of time this summer, but we read the entire CBA and we did like our deep dive takeaways from that. And when, when the lockout was happening, like we were covering that almost like um, from a news analysis perspective. And so it really is kind of like a weird 
blend, but we think that it makes this unique soup that like a lot of people have really responded to in our community, which we're, you know, very fortunate for that. I think, you know, Lyle and I decided that we wanted to give an elevator pitch to Alex, if you're willing to relay the message. I feel like oh, sure. yeah. we would be good candidates to sell the Seattle Mariners to Alex. So, okay. Lyle, where, where did you want to start with this? Well, first off, I want to just say the first podcast that you guys did, which is the most recent podcast that's out right now for Tipping Pitches, you got through 20 teams and you haven't done the West. So either the AL West or the NL West. So is it too late to try and sway Alex one way or another? Unfortunately, it is technically too late because we oh. already recorded that. That podcast <laughs> is edited and scheduled already. <laughs> However, um, you know, I, I even though Alex does choose a team, I will spoil that for anybody who's listening. He does end up choosing a team. He doesn't just decide to not be a fan of baseball. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler. I won't say what team he chooses, but my guess is that he will not become like really hardcore i will only root for this team so uh, there's a chance there's a world in which you pitch the seattle mariners and that becomes like a sort of like collection like one of the collections of teams that he supports i think as a bit for your podcast to really spice things up i feel like he's just going to choose the braves that would (laughs) i told him that there's only one team that he could choose that would end the podcast and that's the one (laughs) i was like to the extent that i have a veto here i am using it on the braves and the braves alone so for background for Bobby is a Mets fan. So yes, yes. That's what I was going to get at too. Now for the Mariners sake of this elevator pitch, I mean, there's a couple ways I feel like we can go with this. You guys picked a few different topics and gave each one a score for each team. So help remind me as we go along here, which ones I'm missing, but I know one of them is Jersey and stadium appearance, right? I feel like the Mariners have to rank in a decently high regard in that category, I mean, T-Mobile Park, I think, is a top 10 park in the sport. Then you look at the Mariners jerseys. I heard Alex say, not everyone has to be perfect. You just have to pick one. I feel like you've got your kind of pick of the litter from the Mariners between their, I personally love the City Connect jerseys, the teal jerseys, the Sunday cream jerseys, even the white jerseys. I feel like they're up there with jersey appearance and stadium appearance. I feel like that's right as I feel like that's pitch number one to give to Alex is you want to get a jersey. It's going to look good. I agree. Alex weighed that like way more heavily than I was expecting him to, because I think that, um, you know, when you have the ability, well, first of all, he's an A's fan. And so he has like his own relationship to jerseys and the Kelly green jerseys that the A's were phenomenal. The A's logos, the A's iconography, them being one of the oldest franchises, I think is really important to him as a fan. Um, but he also sort of lumped that in with like uniform and stadium. So like what everything looks like, like the design eye of the team. And he cares a lot about that. So that was one of the things, team performance, player likability, team culture, aesthetics, geographic location, which, uh, might hurt you guys since we do live, we do live in New York. That is like technically the farthest baseball team from us possible. Mm -hmm. Um, and then the last one is ownership conduct, which, you know, given what our show is about, it's like ownership conduct in the sense of like what type of person is your owner but also like how committed are they to the baseball team how committed are they to winning and though the mariners are not like the worst offenders in that one but they're i would say they're like middle of the pack when it comes to ownership conduct like they you have be the yes they could definitely be better they could be investing more in the team but they could also be worse they could be like cleveland or they could be like you know tampa not spending any money or something like that so um you know it's it's a mixed bag 
Now, Gary. how much how much would it weigh that you have an opportunity to actively root against your old team and your old owner in the same division? I feel like that might weigh a little bit heavy from a from a from an angle of superiority. Say the M's have a significantly better next ten years than the A's do. Alex would have a front row seat to all of it and root on, root on demise. I feel like that's a point in the Mariners' favor. Um, I also it was interesting all so for this podcast episode that we did where we 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 attempted to do this all in one episode and it just became way too long. Like in retrospect, there was no way we were going to be able to fit this into one episode without it being three and a half hours. But uh, we had uh, you know listeners of the show call in and make the pitch to our voicemail. And we played a lot of those. A lot of people wrote emails and I read a lot of those on the air. And it was so interesting how some people were like, this new team might remind you of being an A's fan. You know, it might feel similar to being an A's fan. Like they might let you down in the same way that the A's did. And then other people were like going the opposite direction where it was like, oh, you couldn't you you could not find a way to get further away from the A's. And so the Mariners is funny because like, they are a very different franchise than the, than the A's, even though they are in the AL West. And he would get to at least, you know, occasionally watch the A's lose in Las Vegas since they're going to be bad there for the first however many years. I don't know. It seems like forever with how bad that roster is and how, you know, depleted that franchise seems and how terrible the owner is, of course. But um, <laughs> he also was like, do I really want to sign up again to be a fan of a West Coast baseball team now that I live on the East Coast again? Like, do I want to stay up till one thirty every night? And I'm like, you and I both know that you're going to do that either way, whether or not you're rooting for the Mariners or whether you choose, you know, whoever, it doesn't really matter. Like you're going to be up that, that late at night. Anyway, it might be even better for you to have a team that you feel strongly about to watch. Well, you so talk I- about, you talk about the farm system and you talk about player likability. How's this as a sales pitch? If he jumps on the Mariners bandwagon now, he could be a fan before they sign Shohei Otani and then nobody can call him a bandwagon. That's exactly right. I, I told him when we were, we actually, so when we did record the AL West section and we went through the Angels, I guess this is another spoiler too, but he does not choose the Angels to no one's surprise. Like he's not signing up to be a fan of an Artie Moreno owned team. Um, <laughs> We were going through the Angels. One of the things that I did was I, I wrote down all of the players that I considered notable that are on the roster now and that are also, you know, top prospects who haven't debuted yet. And for the Angels, it was like Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, um, Mickey <laughs> Maniac, uh, and then a couple of interesting pitchers and, you know, a couple of interesting prospects who haven't really panned out so far. And he was like, first of all, precipitous drop off. Second of all, one of those players likely will not be there next year. So we could probably just move on from the Angels. Uh, but, you know, that's a very compelling case that it seems like the Mariners are one of the teams uh, to be, like, in the race for Otani. It would be really tough if, like, he chose to be a fan of a team because he thought Otani was going to go there and then they didn't. And then I was just like, you're stuck with this for the next 50 years. But I guess I guess it's better than choosing to stay with the A's where we know Otani definitely will not go. Neither will any other star. At the very least, though, there's the safety net of having Julio there instead. So exactly, you 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 try and anticipate Otani's move, doesn't choose it. Oh well, damn, we're stuck with Julio Rodriguez. Ooh, quite a damn quite it. a consolation. Damn prize. it, Julio Rodriguez. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Have you seen that tungsten arm O'Doyle tweet? By the way, I mean yes. it's on Twitter all the time. Okay, I figured the answer was yes, but as we were sitting there talking about the Angels, I figured I just had to bring it up because 
I feel like I see it all the time now, especially with all these games that they lose where Otani's just going off. And even when Trout's going off when he's healthy. So I just, I just figured how much has that tweet gotten into the Twitter, like Twitter world out in your world in New York? Definitely. They, uh-huh. they are a uniquely cursed franchise, the angels, you know, it's so funny because you asked what the show is about and it's sometimes hard to describe because we talk about such varied topics and such we don't talk about like the sort of quote-unquote red meat topics that you would typically expect in the media world but our show is also kind of about like stuff like that you know Mm -hmm. like the unique curses of each franchise the fan experience of each franchise how much we have in common with other fan bases where we vary with other fan bases so i look at a team like the angels and i'm like Wow, it feels a lot like being a Mets fan. You know, when I lived, I lived in Los Angeles for almost four years when I, uh, when I first started working for the Ringer. And I was like, a team that is weirdly dysfunctional for some reason. Now we share a, a GM, you know, like our GM used to be their GM. Uh, they, they spend money pretty well, you know, like up with the top 10 teams in the league. And it seems like it never goes anywhere. And it seems like they never have any prospects. And, but of course, being a Mets fan and being an Angels fan are such uniquely different experiences. But there's so much overlap in that Venn diagram. And so that's kind of like a little bit what our show is about, too. Like the the like cultural canon of like what the baseball world is like. While we're here on the subject of Otani, I thought this would be a good transition. The one sort of idea I had to ask you when you were going to come on here in relation to your podcast would be ask about Shohei. He was the topic of All-Star Week. The entire stadium in the city were, was was beaming and, and wishing for Shohei Otani just standing out there on the field in not an Angels uniform. And you're thinking, man, that could be an everyday appearance. And now the question is to get the Mariners to actually pony the money up for it. So if we're going to sit here and think, how is Shohei not just going to benefit a team on the field, but how is he going to benefit a team off the field how like how would you put into context of what what Shohei Otani is going to bring to a franchise monetarily it's always tough I mean you always hear this this figure that you hear cited a lot is like um LeBron James was worth one billion dollars to the Cleveland economy like that's a thing that people just say and I definitely believe it you know like he's the biggest star in the sports world he was in one of the smaller markets in the sports world in Cleveland at the time and so naturally he's from Akron, you know, he's from the area. So people have a really strong connection to him. There's like no real way to measure that though. There, there, an economist did not sit down and say, here are, is the GDP of Cleveland because LeBron is here and here's how it changes. And there's certainly not like a billion dollar difference in ticket sales when he leaves. But what it does do is that when you have a star like that and you have a star like Shohei Otani um, and the team is good, which presumably like the Mariners would be able to build a winning team around him better than the angels would seeing as like the Mariners seem like they're trending in the right direction already without the best player in the world. If you are good and you have that level of a star, you are suddenly like the center of the baseball world. And I, I don't really know what the center of the baseball world is right now. Like some people would say it's like New York or LA because those are the biggest markets and those are the teams that spend the most. And those are the teams that get the most attention and eyeballs. And that's where Sunday night baseball goes to most often. And, you know, markets like Boston and that sort of thing. But, you know, think about a guy like Ken Griffey Jr., you know, who you guys know extremely well. Like, he made Seattle arguably maybe not the the biggest attraction in baseball because it was also, like, during the 90s when the Yankees had their dynasties going to. But he made Seattle at least a top three 
destination for like baseball fandom, attention, eyeballs, viewership, sponsorship, marketing, and also like they were objectively the coolest at the time. So I think that that is the sort of impact that signing Otani can have. And I think people are really itching to have like a second. You know, this is something that I think about baseball fandom that I think is cool. Fan, like fans are looking to have like a second favorite team a lot in the baseball world in the modern fan context because like you put so much investment in your team and they probably are going to let you down unless they're like one of five teams that wins the World Series every you know every couple of years and so you want to have like the second team that you think is like really cool and fun to root for without like the baggage of of like the negativity of your own fan base and so I think the Mariners would be that like no holds barred for every other fan base if they signed Otani. Which is is huge. That's a huge marketing opportunity for a franchise. I agree, but I I went and I dug into the Angels numbers a little bit, and I thought some of these numbers were fascinating. There are some that directly show that Shohei brought an increase in tickets. But fun fact for both of you, I don't know if you guys realize this: the Angels increased their average ticket sales per game in from 2017 before he signed to 2018 after he signed by eight tickets. That's it. Which I thought was, I, I chuckled a little bit about that because that seems like a very Angels thing. They were drawing pretty well before he came there and they continued yeah. to draw well after. And funny enough, as soon as he's gotten to this tier of player where he's been the best player maybe we've ever seen, their attendance has actually gone down and has trended down over the last couple of years, which is a very hilarious thing to think about. It's interesting, like, I, I wonder what those numbers look like, like when Otani pitches versus when he's mm-hmm. not pitching. And the the other thing is that that stadium, it's not, I don't know if you, you guys have ever been to that. It's not like one time. It's not bad, but it feels sort of like fake. <laughs> you know, there's like the fake rocks in the outfield. It's in Orange County. It's not really in L.A., but they say that's in it's in L.A. And so it's kind of hard to get to unless you are one of unless you live in Anaheim already or you live nearby in Orange County. And so. It's not like the most exciting place to go see a ball game. I don't mean to like shade Angels fans. I think they probably feel this way as well. And like they just Angels fans dislike Artie Moreno as much as the next guy. So um, the other thing is that the Angels are like one of the biggest teams internationally just from Otani being on their team. And the Mariners were are already up there as well because of their long history with Ichiro. And so I think that if you brought in a guy like Otani, you and you're you know, on the West Coast already, like you suddenly have like a huge market share in Asia of fans. And, you know, we saw in the World Baseball Classic last year, like the World Baseball Classic final is the most watched baseball game of all time, you know, more than any other World Series game like that is that's a crazy statistic to me. And if you combine a guy like Otani and then like the hometown hero who is already there in Julio like that, there's a lot of cachet there. There's a lot going on. So for those ticket sales numbers, Bobby actually found some from last season. Weekend starts average up 5% from normal, and then weekdays up 18% per normal. That's that's pretty significant, especially for those weekdays. Mariners do not draw well during the week at all. They've, they've had trouble for years getting people in the door without promotions during the week. So that would be something in and of itself. And another thing I thought was fascinating that you honestly don't even think of, and people knew about this when Ichiro came over and he was such a sensation while he was here in Seattle, that there are 50, almost 50 media members from Japan that cover Shohei Otani every single day from Los Angeles. And they are covering him exclusively to promote him, like you mentioned, 
back to Japan, a country of 125 million people. That's that's more coverage than you can ever ask for. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's just like that's built in because of the level of superstardom that Otani already has. And, you know, on the pod um, earlier, I think it was earlier this year, uh, we did a maybe um, a fool's errand of an exercise, but it was a fun bit to do on a podcast. We ranked who we thought are the 30 most famous people in the baseball world. So not just current baseball players, but like retired players, people around the game, media members, analysts, whatever. Anyone who is still alive who has had some connection to Major League Baseball. Who are the 30 most famous? The A-listers, we called them. And we put Otani number one, you know, like above Big Poppy, above A-Rod, above Jeter, above a lot of other people who you might say to an American baseball fan is a more uh, a more name brand, so to speak, or has like a wider net of reach. But I just think it's like, it's almost impossible to understand how big Otani is internationally. He's like the guy. He's like Michael Jordan, you know? I, I think we like are underrating that because you know, we don't have that perspective that um, the Asian media market is is showing to him. Who's number two? I think it was A-Rod. Mm. Wow, yeah. really? Okay. I get A-Rod yeah, has I guess. more Instagram followers. You, this is like gnarly, but A-Rod has more Instagram followers than basically everyone else on the list combined. It's un- He's created such a brand, and it's obviously like a brand like it's very clearly a brand i don't think that that's like we're getting like the authentic a-rod necessarily but he's like so present on tv he's had like celebrity tabloid relationships for decades now at this point he has his own business he you know has been an analyst on on fox and espn and so it's just he's just I, he's huge and it's like we love him on the pod we we don't like necessarily love him the guy but we love like the idea of A-Rod is so funny to us and we talk about it all the time so who's your second favorite team i know you mentioned earlier you think a lot of people would have the mariners be their second favorite team if otani signed there do you have one well it was the a's for a long time because because of alex and so that was like kind of our agreement you know like our friendship agreement in terms of fandom is that i would root for the a's and he would root for the mets and it it worked out really well because like they were never really like rivals to each other and the a's play on the west coast and the mets play on the east coast for the most part and so they weren't ever you know they're not often like playing at the same time or whatever or in a in a you know playoff race against each other of course and uh, now it's not. I mean, obviously, like we're ditch- we're ditching the A's. We're jumping off that, um, you know, burning building. But um, I don't know. I, I it rotates. It, it changes from time to time. I, I try to I try to find a different team in the AL to be a fan of. Like I I don't have anything against the Mariners. I watch them quite a bit. Um, there are mostly teams that I just like don't like because I don't like their owners or I don't like that they like are cheap or things like that. Um, but I like I said, I lived in LA for four years. It's weird to say that like the Dodgers are my second favorite team, so to speak, but I went and saw them a lot. And so I have like a sort of unique relationship to the Dodgers that I think I never would have had if I didn't live there. See, I, I feel like this my- then exercise is also beneficial to you where you can rehash it is. Oh, this yeah. could this might be a good reevaluation. Yes. Uh, or I can also double down on some of my most hated teams, you know? Yeah. Like I can <laughs> double down and say the Braves are evil, the Yankees are evil. Um, the Rays are evil, like all these different teams that I already dislike. Uh, and I can, I can try to control Alex in that way. So how would you balance a scenario like this? Then we heard the red zoner, I forget his name, come out at the beginning of the year and essentially say, 
you know, what else are you going to do in Cincinnati besides come see this? And you think of that and you're like, man, what a dick. And then the team comes out and they're arguably the most fun team in baseball. And you're like sitting there right in the middle, like, hmm, what what am I weighing here? Yeah. So uh, the the guy that you're think, thinking of, his name is Phil Castellini. Um, the the owner of the team is named Bob Bob Castellini. He's uh he but he's like not as involved in the team right now. He's much older, and uh they they stink. They are un, they are not cool people, and they have a history of like you know being kind of in on the team for like one year, and then when that doesn't go well, they like you know fire sale. Um, and so I don't know. I try to I try to balance that personally. As to being like, if the team is still fun, if the team is still interesting, like I can overlook an owner because so many of the owners are kind of odious people and they are clearly in it just to make money, as we saw in the lockout last year. Um, but like, given the choice to choose any team in baseball, like, and this is the case I was trying to make to Alex on the podcast, and you know, I, I try to make to him in part two as well, which is coming out next week, next Monday, is that given the choice to choose any team in major league baseball, like you're probably going to want to choose one where the owner is not particularly egregious. You know, you might, you, you want to choose the one where you know that the owner is not going to stab you in the back the way that John Fisher did. And I don't know that I feel that strongly about it, about, you know, Phil Castellini or Bob Castellini or whoever is making those decisions. So it's funny you say that because the Reds are my second favorite team. Now, I'm no fan of the Castellinis and watching them say what they said at the start of last year when they said, where are you going to go and what else are you going to do? I'd be mad if I was just a baseball fan in general, let alone a Rays fan. Now, maybe part of this has to do that I spent last season broadcasting minor league baseball games for the Dayton Dragons, which is the Reds high team, but getting to see Ellie in person for half the year, like I fell in love with watching Ellie. I think the Reds fans are intelligent. I think they care a lot. I think they're passionate, which is why I like them. And also, now that the Mariners and Reds have made all these trades over the last year, there's a lot of Mariners prospects and players that I liked, and I have no ill will toward that I still want to root for, but they're playing in the other leagues, so it's still easy to root for them. So I think the Reds have kind of become my second favorite team in that way, minus the Castellini ownership. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean... You see, if you see Noel V. Marte get called up and he's like sensational, that feels like your guy, you know? It yeah. feel, it, but it might hurt a little bit because he's not in the Mariners anymore. But of course, right. like you, you got to give up good players to get good players. And I think Luis Castillo is a pretty great player. Right. But um, I think, honestly, I think sometimes we get in our, we, me and Alex, like in the, in the tipping pitches world, like we get in our heads a little bit too much about owners. Like there is a way to watch baseball and there's a way to just like, ignore the owner experience as much joy as possible and sometimes you know they make it impossible to ignore them the other thing about the reds is that you know the castellinis might sell that team like you don't know like they 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 might not own that team for the next 50 years so if you're a fan they could sell it to anybody they could sell it to someone who actually cares they could sell it to like an owner more like peter seidler who owns the padres and is in a small market but uh invest in that team at the highest level you know no matter what the cost might be because he wants to win and he actually seems like he cares about uh, building a good baseball team, which seems like a novel concept in, in MLB these days. So Bobby, we wanted to do one last thing with you before we wrap this interview up a couple episodes ago, you and Alex were giving people some advice and tricks and tactics on how to play the immaculate grid. And it's two people in TJ and I who play it all the time. Yeah. We would love to pick your brain about it. Okay. 
So what are some of those tips and tricks? I mean, we listen to a little bit of the podcast, but maybe you can both inform us and inform some of our listeners who I'm sure play as well. Yeah. What angle you like to take on it? So I'm just gonna be honest. I'm not, I'm not like some of these other people that I see on, okay. on Twitter, like sharing their grid and having like a 15, you know, uh, you know, a 15 rarity score. But my, my strategy is usually like, make sure that I actually look at every single grid before I start answering any guys. Because if there's a guy that I can put in a place that I consider harder, like I'll have, I'll put that guy there. And honestly, at this point in my immaculate gridding, my strategy is like not to get too cute with it. Otherwise you might think that, you know, Luis Castillo, the Mets, Luis Castillo played for uh, another team and you might be wrong about that. Um, And so you might be misremembering like a guy wearing one hat versus a guy wearing a different hat. And so stick to the ones that, you know, like for certain at first and then try to like pull from, from, from deeper as you go on. And then the other thing is like, the, the other reason I'm not as good at it as some of these other people that I see is because I just don't remember relief pitchers. And like, if you know, relievers, they've been on 12, all of them have been on like 12 different teams because they all only ever signed two year contracts. Um, but I I uh, I often get like a Mets deep cut one that uh, is really helpful because I just remember a random time that the Mets signed some dude to to like a minor league contract and then called him up three days later. I'll only really go for a rarity score if the Mariners are part of the grid. Otherwise, right. yeah. I mean, I, I don't get nine out of nine often enough where I'm purely chasing a rarity score. And when I end up saying, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to pick this really obscure name and I look stupid when I pick it wrong and I end up with a seven of nine. It's like, well, how'd that rarity score look now when you didn't even get exactly it Exactly, when I added 200 to it. So like the other thing that I do is I I try not to rush through it and I'm like an impatient person and so sometimes that doesn't really work out. But I'll try to like if I get four and then I'm like stuck and there's a guy that I like kind of think might be an answer for one of those other squares, I'll just like, not close the tab, but like I'll I'll like leave it alone and then come back to it later because I'll be <laughs> the way that my brain works. I'll be like sitting in a podcast recording and um, I'll just be like, uh, oh, my God, Nate McClough. I'll do Nate McClough, <laughs> you know, like something like that. And then I'll go back to the tab. Um, but I don't know, like like some people who I know are just downright absurd with it, like to the point where I'm like you actually might need to find another hobby. Like <laughs> this is, this is not useful knowledge to have in your brain at this point in life. So I'm thrilled that you said that because number one, my rarity scores are never good. I swear they're never under a hundred. I'm always somewhere in the two hundreds or three hundreds. And two, I definitely have the, Oh wow moment. Like sometimes it just pops into your head and it, I'm always just relieved when that happens because I, I swear sometimes I'll be sitting there for a few minutes straight and I'll be looking at the grid and I like to consider myself as somebody who knows a whole lot of baseballs. I'm sure all three of us do. And I'll be sitting there like yesterday. I was trying to think about Yankees Brewers and I'm sitting there for a few minutes and I'm like, there's nobody that's ever played for the Yankees or Brewers <laughs> and like both. It's like the grid's lying to me. They're tricking me. They're doing this on purpose and they're trying to piss me off. And then five to 10 minutes later, I was like, Oh wait, CC Sabathia spent yeah. half the season in Milwaukee, didn't he? It was like, all right, so that one. Yeah, Hall of Famer. You know, like a, yeah. a very, very loud example. Um, 
yeah it's 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 tough and then sometimes there's like guys who have similar names and you think that 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 one guy played for both of these teams and really it was another guy who had like a slightly different last name so alex's strategy is which i thought was really funny and like maybe not that useful for other people to try is just to type in letters and then see the names that come up and see if that spurs anything in his head (laughs) he's like you can tell me if you think this is cheating and i'm like i don't think that's cheating i don't think that's a good strategy at all like it just shows you random guys who have that name. It does not. So I don't. It it's a, it's a work in progress. I play a lot of silly games like that. Like I play a a basketball version of it called Dribble, um, and it's like it shows you two players, and you basically there's there's always at least one player who is like a perfect link between those players who has played with both of them. But you get six guesses, I think, to try to connect one player to the other, and so it'll show like Kyle Lowry and. Um, you know, Tabo Cephalosha, and you have to like choose the guy who played with both of them, which I think is like really, it's it's fun to do that too. So um, I'm waiting for the baseball version of that game. That would be really cool. I mean, if they, if they can actually twist that into a baseball version, I mean, I'll be playing that too. Cause I like to play the grid. I like to play Wardle, or I guess they changed the name of it now to, I'm trying to remember what they changed the name of Wardle to it's something. And then uh, yeah, if, if they can change that, that if they can hit, if they can change dribble into a baseball game, I'll be playing it. So I, I think they're just super fun. They're fun brain teasers, and it just gives you something to do throughout the day. It's like how a lot of people like to play Wordle. I'd say. Yeah, exactly. Um, I yeah, I play a lot of those little those little games. Like we need something to turn our brains on a little bit at the beginning of the day. Right. Exactly. Or if you're like us who live on the West Coast, you'll wait till nine p.m. and play it that night because you don't want to wait till the next day. I was just in California for two weeks and I was doing the exact same thing. And like Hurry. every time I would open it up to play it, it'd be like nine fifteen. It would be the next day's game already. And be like, ah, oh, man, I forgot to play it yesterday. So right, yeah, exactly. Bobby, this has been awesome. We appreciate all the time you've given us. This was a really fun conversation for us, and we certainly hope to do it again soon because we love talking baseball with you. Hey, thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. I, ha- I had a lot of fun chatting about. Uh, the Mariners and I guess what tipping pitches is all about. Um, And uh, I really appreciate the time. So thanks guys. All right. That was a awesome conversation with Bobby Wagner. Lyle, you mentioned it to me a little bit after we wrapped up the podcast, but it's nice having something like a different tone of interview on this podcast. We're so serious all the time. But as with many things in life, it's really not all that serious. And I feel like that interview kind of reflected it. And I don't know, maybe a a bit of a goal is to get a little bit more of that on this podcast, being that Mariners baseball isn't always, you know, sunshine and daisies and fun to talk about. So it's our job to to make something different and 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 kind of lead it in that way. And I thought that interview with Bobby really did a really did a good job in that department. Are we that serious? I feel like not all the time we're that serious. I mean, we do have a Russell Wilson ump of the week and speak your mind segments that aren't that serious. I don't I feel like it's serious when you're talking about ex-wobas and chase rates. That sounds decently serious, is it not? Okay, that part is. So let's rephrase. I think we have a mix. I think we have a mix of serious when we're talking nitty-gritty <laughs> Mariners, but then we have some lighthearted, non-serious, funny segments, especially once we get toward the end when we talk speak your mind we do ump of the week that stuff so maybe it's a mix yeah maybe so but i I, if you go listen to tipping pitches we go recommend it you can find on find them on apple and spotify in terms of really finding a different angle of talking about baseball and like you know they are serious sometimes but then sometimes again they're just as bobby said they just kind of 
mess around. That's all it is. And it really plays into the good dynamic. And I think that's a part is as we keep growing and as we keep doing these, that we'll learn really what works and what doesn't and, and how much we can fuck around and how much we can't. So it's, it's fun. And that's why it's a, that's why it's a fun experiment. And we're glad that I would say that interview kind of reflected that. I mean, that's the first time ever we spent serious amounts of time talking about, yeah. Okay. What are our second favorite teams going to be? Not favorite, second favorite teams. Who's yours? You didn't even get to say yours. Oh, I don't, I don't think I have one. I think maybe we should, maybe this off season when the season ends, you know, this, this discussion might be uh, get a little more serious. Say Shohei decides to sign somewhere else. I mean, then I might need to put in some real work of, of a team that should balance out my, uh, my suffering with, with this current franchise. Let's put, let's put a pin in that and circle back to that in the off season. Cause that could be a fun topic similar to how, Alex is currently choosing a new team on tipping pitches and Bobby's trying to help him with that. But like you said, awesome conversation with Bobby Wagner. Their podcast is awesome. He was awesome. It was fun to kind of have the lighthearted conversation. It was a very easy flowing conversation. They really know baseball and they put a unique spin on it. So to kind of go away from our usual type of interview there was a blast and, and we hope you guys enjoyed it too. With that, that'll just about wrap up this edition of edition of the Marine Layer Podcast. You guys know you want to listen to the full form podcast. You can do so on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Amazon. Go download our episodes. Give us a five-star review. It helps us immensely. We can't stress that enough. Hopefully you're enjoying those podcasts. If you do, make sure to give it a five-star review. And if you want the full video podcast, go watch us on YouTube too. Go subscribe, like, comment. We put a lot of effort into the video form podcast. So go check that out. And on social media, as always, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, YouTube shorts, at Marine Layer Pod. For TJ Matthewson, this is Lyle Goldstein. As always, we thank you guys for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon. Nice buns, soft, fluffy, and ultra low net carbs. Discover Hero Bread, the delicious ultra low net carb bread with incredible taste and texture. Hero Bread has zero grams of sugar and is under 100 calories per serving. Plus, high in fiber with 5 to 10 grams of protein per serving. Order from Hero.co now and get 10% off your first purchase with promo code AH10. That's 10% off with code AH10. H-E-R-O dot C-O.